0: This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Thank you, guys. So, if you are new today, we are in the midst of a series we're calling Tell Me the Story. Of Jesus. And so, what we're doing in the series is we're walking through the Gospel of Luke, and we're especially looking at passages that are unique to the Gospel of Luke that are not found in the other three Gospels. And so, I want to invite you this morning to turn to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, and the title of this message is To Seek and to Save the Lost. I did not know that I would be, um, we'd be on this text the week that J.C. Mitchell, one of our former pastors, went home to be with the Lord at the age of 95, but uh, Dr. Mitchell is one of my mentors. He's been such a great encourager uh, to me and uh, was really had a big hand in discipling my parents when he was a senior pastor here from 1957 to 1966, and that impacted the kind of home that I grew up in. And when I think about JC's life, what I see is a burning passion for the lost. As much as any person I have ever known, uh, this man's heart uh, was on, uh, on seeing lost people. Come to know Jesus. That's the heartbeat of Christ, as we will see in this passage today. Luke chapter 19, and let's look at verses 1 through 10. If you would follow along in your copy of God's Word. He entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd, since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus, since he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house." So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to complain. He's gone to stay with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, I'll give half my possessions to the poor, Lord. And if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today, salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him. Because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray. Or we, we see the very heartbeat of Christ in this text. As we have seen throughout the gospel of, of Luke, to see lost people found, to see those who are far from you to be drawn near. And Lord, how we pray that we would have your heart, that your mission to seek and to save the lost would be our mission as well, to see people saved, to see lost people found here in our community and around the world. Lord, would you equip us for the mission that you've called us to through your word, by the power of your spirit today, and we ask it in Christ's name, amen. One of the unique features of American cinema through the years has been the genre of the Gangster movie, organized crime, and um, I, you know, when I was little, I would watch movies with my my dad, and we would a lot of times we would watch westerns and war movies together. My mom called them shoot 'em ups, and uh, but we, my dad and I watched a lot of shoot 'em ups when I was I was growing up. But I, I remember when the when the the classic film The Godfather debuted on television. And my dad thought, you know, that the content might be a little bit heavy for me at that point. So I wasn't allowed to watch The Godfather with him uh, that night, which made me want to watch it even more, of course. And then the next day when he told me that a, 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 a guy had woken up with a horse's head in his bed, then I knew absolutely that I was gonna watch that film uh, as soon as I could. Well, I, I did get to watch The Godfather. I've watched it uh, many times since. And the key figure in the, the family, uh, Michael Corleone, is, is, is played masterfully by Al Pacino, who is uh, he's a little guy, a short guy. And and that kind of the a a little guy playing an organized crime kingpin has a long history, uh, in 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 cinema going all the way back to Jimmy Cagney and uh, Edward G. Robinson and in more recent years, of course, Al Pacino and people like Joe Pesci, as as well. Well, today we're looking at a real life. organized crime kingpin and Zacchaeus and he was a short guy a little guy who who wielded big power and who had big wealth and he was far from God this guy was about as lost as you could possibly be but he exemplifies the passion of Christ the heart of Christ to see lost people bound. So what do we see in this text? Let's look at kind of the larger context of the story. The larger context here is that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Passion Week is not that far away at this point. And so Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. If you turn back to chapter 9 and verse 51 of Luke. Turn back to the ninth chapter. And verse 51. This really begins the journey. As Jesus, Jesus has been moving toward Jerusalem. Toward the, the cross and the resurrection. It says in Luke nine fifty-one, When the days were coming to a close. For him to be taken up. He determined to journey to Jerusalem. And that word determined means that he, he set his face. He set his face toward Jerusalem. And he knew what was going to happen there. But Jesus was absolutely determined. He was not to be deterred from his mission. To die on the cross for our sins and arise from the dead that we might be forgiven and have eternal life. Jesus, Jesus, ever since this point, has been on this journey to Jerusalem. And by chapter 19, it is getting very close. And so that's the larger context of the story. The more immediate context we see at the end of chapter 18. So let's look at the end of chapter 18 and pick it up beginning in verse 35. As he approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. Hearing a crowd passing by, he he inquired what was happening. Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, they told him. So he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those in front told him to keep quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. When he came closer, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see. Receive your sight, Jesus told him. Your faith has saved you. Instantly, he could see. And he began to follow him, glorifying God. All the people, when they saw it, gave Praise to God. We sung earlier in victory in Jesus, he caused the blind to see. So what we see at the end of chapter 18 is Jesus causing the physically blind to see. And now at the beginning of chapter 19, he's causing the spiritually blind to see. So what do, we, what do we see here in this text? First of all, the sinner. The sinner in verses one through four. Let's check out verse one. <clears throat> he entered Jericho and was passing through. So the city of Jericho is about 15 miles from Jerusalem. If you ever visit Israel on a pilgrimage, a tour, your bus will almost certainly go past the city of Jericho on your way to Jerusalem. And once you go past Jericho, you're gonna be going straight uphill for about 15 miles to Jerusalem. But Jericho is an oasis, and so it's a sea of green, an island of green in the, in the midst of the desert. Um, it's known for beautiful date trees, date, date palms are these majestic palm trees. In certain times of the year, you can just see uh, these beautiful clusters of dates that are, that are hanging down from them. Uh, Jericho is the city of palms, uh, date palms. But in the first century, when this story takes place, there was another kind of farming that was taking place there that had nothing to do with agriculture, and that was tax farming. Israel was under Roman occupation, uh, which was bad enough, but then to pour salt in the wound, the Romans taxed them for everything that they could think of, anything and everything. And since Jericho was like a crossroads city on the way to Jerusalem, they would tax transport, they would tax travel. And so Jericho was like a center of this Roman uh, tax operation. And what the Romans would do is that they, they would get Jews who were basically willing to sell their souls for money to collect the taxes for them now in order to do this you had to be willing to be hated by your own people but you know your your greed won the day and so you were willing to be hated by your fellow jews so that you could make yourself uh, richer that was what the tax collectors did. it was no wonder they were hated because they weren't just like collecting the taxes this this operation was just uh, filled with graft and extortion. You know, if people couldn't pay, they would shake them down and pressure them. Uh, They would take money, you know, off of the top. It It was just loaded with crime. It's basically organized crime. These tax collectors were organized crime figures, and at the top of the pyramid of all of them, And the city of Jericho was the man that we're going to meet next. Verse 2. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus is not your run-of-the-mill tax collector. He is at the top of this whole thing. He's taking a cut from all the tax collectors that were beneath him and it had made him rich. He was filthy rich in every sense of that term. He was incredibly wealthy, and it was dirty money. Filthy rich. This is a bad guy. But now, this story takes a completely wild, unexpected turn. Verses three and four. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since he was about to pass that way. Now something here does not compute. Why does a guy like Zacchaeus want to see a guy like Jesus. Zacchaeus is the ultimate materialist. His life is just an absolute bondage to money to the point he didn't care what his people said about it. He had lost all of his friends. It didn't matter. It was all about the money. This guy is the ultimate materialist. Why on earth does a guy like Zacchaeus want to see a guy like Jesus? And he doesn't just casually want to see him. He is taking extraordinary measures to see him. It says that he ran ahead. You know, know, Jewish men in the first century did not run. That was something for kids, was considered undignified to run. Zacchaeus hitches up his robes and runs and then climbs a tree. (laughs) Another childlike action. I mean, you look up and he's like a bird, you know, in the tree. I mean, the the whole scene is, is wild. He's taking extraordinary measures. What is going on? God's spirit is stirring in the heart of Zacchaeus. There is no other explanation for this. You know, this is the sovereign moving, stirring, drawing of the spirit of the living God. You can't explain it any other way. You know, in John 3, when Jesus is talking with Nicodemus, Jesus says to him there in, in, in John 3:8 he says he says that you know the wind blows and you hear the sound of it but you don't know where it came from or where it's going so it is with those who are born of the spirit you know God's the blowing of God's spirit is like the wind it's the, the breath of God it's like the, we don't know you know we don't know kind of there's a sovereignty to it The wind blows where it will. We don't control the wind. And, And God's spirit is moving in the life of the most unlikely individual. You can't explain this any other way than the stirring, the sovereign stirring of the spirit of God in this guy's life. And it probably started as a dissatisfaction With his life? You know, Zacchaeus' philosophy has always been, you know, he who dies with the most money wins. And and Zacchaeus has probably begun to question that. And it's begun, begun to dawn on him, well, no, he who dies with the most money just dies, and then what? And there's an emptiness in his life. He has it all materially, but he's not happy. There is, there's an emptiness in him. Think about the, the famous statement by Marie Antoinette, the last queen of, of France, who had all of these things materially, and her famous statement was, nothing tastes. Nothing tastes. Empty. And so the Spirit had, had begun to create a a dissatisfaction with his life as it was. And this is late in the the three-year earthly ministry of Christ. This is shortly before the Passion Week. So, you know, by this point, Zacchaeus has certainly heard about some of the things that Jesus was doing. And he didn't didn't have many friends. The only friends he basically had would have been other tax collectors. But see, he's begun to hear. This guy... Instead of just shunning tax collectors and hating us, he's there been he's he's reached out to people like me. And in, in fact, some of some of my fellow tax collectors had, their lives have been transformed. One of, one of us, Levi, Matthew, he's actually become one of the twelve disciples. And so, in, in hearing of the transformation of other tax collectors, Zacchaeus begins to think, you know, when this emptiness comes into his life, this, this dissatisfaction, you know, maybe there is something. Maybe there's something, maybe, maybe in Jesus, there's something that, 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 I, that I've been, that I'm looking for. And so he takes extraordinary measures to, to see him when he hears him, him coming, of him coming. Now, listen, there are people in your life in whom the Spirit of God is stirring. There, there are people around you, pe- people that you work with, people that you go to school with, people in your neighborhood, people that are in your sphere of influence that you're in relationship with. And God's Spirit begins to stir. And work in their life. And part of being on mission with Christ is to walk through life with a sensitivity to that. That God is working around us. The spirit of God is working in lives. And so we need to be listening and watching so that we can join with Jesus in the work that he's doing in the lives of people. The second thing that we see here is the Savior, the Savior, in verses five through seven. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. Now, this is incredible on multiple levels first of all how does jesus even know his name (laughs) because he's jesus (laughs) because he's the second person of the trinity and the father son and holy spirit work together for our redemption and so jesus knows that he not only knows his name but he knows the spirit has been working on this guy In fact, before the foundation of the world, it was planned for Zacchaeus to be in that tree at that moment as Jesus was passing through. Psalm 139 and verse 16 says, your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. Your life, is not a product of chance. God knit you together in the womb of your mom and he has a plan for you, a plan that's not gonna be stopped. Job chapter 42 in verses one and two, Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and no plan of yours can be thwarted. This is God's plan for Zacchaeus. Jesus says to him, hurry and come down. (laughs) These are imperatives that demand immediate action. Hurry and come down. And then, this is really wild. Today, it is necessary for me to stay at your house. Most people didn't want to get near Zacchaeus' house. (laughs) They didn't want anything to do with that. There's bad things coming from that house. This is a bad guy. They didn't want to get near Zacchaeus, have anything to do with him, let alone go and stay at his house. Verse six. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. He welcomed him joyfully. Now, Think about the irony of this in the overall ministry of, of Christ. Because what does John tell us in John chapter 1 and verses 11 through 13? It says, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. We have seen this play out again and again and again in Luke's gospel. Jesus comes to his own and he's not welcomed. He is not received by most of them. We have seen over and over again in Luke that those who should have been on the inside make themselves outsiders because they refuse to receive Jesus. And we have seen again and again that those who are most on the outside become insiders. Those who are far on the outside, Gentiles, Samaritans, prostitutes, tax collectors, irreligious Jews like Zacchaeus, these people who are far, seem far from God, who are on the outside are coming in to the inside. They are, they are receiving him joyfully. It's the, it's, it's the religious establishment that is scandalized by the things that Jesus is doing. And we see that coming out here in verse seven, right? All who saw it began to complain. He's gone to stay with a sinful Man. Now this isn't just the Pharisees that are complaining at this point. Luke says all who saw it began to complain. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. You see, somebody like Zacchaeus, people were like, this is a bridge too far. Jesus, you know, this guy, this is, this is too much. You see, they saw Zacchaeus for who he had been and not for who he could become by the grace of God. How do we see lost people? Do you see lost people as your enemy? Or do you see them as victims of the enemy that are in need of rescue? A man fell into a pit and couldn't get himself out. A subjective person came along and said, I feel for you down there. An objective person saw him and said, it's logical that someone would fall down there. A mathematician saw him and calculated how he fell down there. A geologist told him to appreciate the rock strata in the pit. The county inspector asked him if he had a permit to dig a pit. Buddha came along and said, your pit is only a state of mind. A reporter saw him and asked for an exclusive story on how he fell into the pit. A Pharisee came along and said, only bad people fall into pits. The health and wealth TV preacher saw him and said, just confess that you're not in a pit. The hardcore fundamentalist saw him and said, you deserve your pit. The optimist said, things could be worse. The pessimist said, things will get worse. The realist said, now that's a pit. Jesus, seeing the man, reached out his hand and lifted him out of the pit. Savior let's look at the salvation in verses 8 through 10 verse 8 but Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord look I'll give half of my possessions to the poor Lord and if I have extorted anything from anyone I'll pay back four times as much now between verses 7 and 8 some stuff has happened (laughs) clearly Jesus has gone home to, to, to be with Zacchaeus. They've shared a meal together, and there's a conversation that takes place over that meal. And somewhere in the course of that conversation, something happens. <laughs> New life happens. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. God has done in Ezekiel 36, 26, in Zacchaeus' life, God says, I will give you a new heart. And put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone. And give you a heart of flesh. That's what God does. And that's what he's done in Zacchaeus' life. He's replaced that heart of stone with a heart of flesh. Now the point. The, 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 the greatest point of bondage. In Zacchaeus' life has been Money. I mean, his whole life has revolved around it. He was willing to like lose his, his own people because he was so addicted to money. He's been in bondage to it. And so the Spirit begins to release him from that. We sung earlier, you and I are forgiven and what? Free. The Spirit frees us from the chains that bind this has been a chain in Zacchaeus' life, and the Spirit is transforming him from selfishness to unselfishness, from being a taker to being a giver. <clears throat> and this is the fruit of repentance. Repentance is not just words, if it's real, there will be fruit. And in this case, it's absolutely imperative for the integrity of Zacchaeus's witness because this, this guy has been involved in all kinds of things. He's been, he's been used to, to taking advantage of the poor. Now he's talking about giving to the poor. He's, ta- he's been involved in extorting people. And now he's we're gonna wreck, he's, he's determined to rectify all of that. There's an integrity to his witness here. Jesus says in, in, in verse nine, he says, today salvation has come to this house. Because he too is a son of Abraham. Salvation means rescue deliverance from harm. I mean, look, Zacchaeus has been on a one-way highway, and the only exit was Martell. And God has taken him and put him on a different road completely. Rescue. Rescue. Salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. He was ethnically Jewish. But now, on this day, he's not only a son of Abraham, he has become a son of the living God. He's become a child of God. He's been born of the Spirit. And now the statement in verse 10, which in so many ways is key not only to the gospel of, of Luke, but to the whole ministry of Jesus so many things lead, lead into this moment and go forth from this moment, this statement. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. What did we see in chapter 15? Jesus tells these three parables back to back to back about a lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost son, And in all three of these parables, what happens? Something is lost. And there's a seeking of what is lost. There's a finding of what is lost and there is a celebrating when what was lost is found. This is it. Right, this is Luke 15. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Now listen, that's his mission. That's his mission statement. That's got to be our mission. Jesus says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of people. To follow Jesus is to care about the condition of other people, including their spiritual condition. It's to care about people who are lost instead of just doing our own life and doing our own thing and going our own way. People need the Lord. To follow Jesus is to care about that. To care about them and to be a part of joining with Jesus in his mission to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you, you loved us enough to, to find us when, when we were lost. And Lord, we pray that you would give us the compassion of Jesus to care about the people around us. And it really comes down to love. This is a part of loving people. To care about them. And to care about the the, the ultimate thing, the most important thing. To care about them being found, to, to care about them coming into a relationship with you, which is the only thing that satisfies and the only thing that saves And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to to walk through life with your eyes, with a sensitivity to the spirits working in the lives of the people around us. And, Lord, that you would use us. Lord, may we we represent you well as as we mingle with people, as we interact with people. Lord, may we model the kindness, the love of, of Christ. And Lord, may we, be, may we love people enough to speak, to speak words of life to them. Words, good news that bring salvation, that there is a Savior who died for sinners like all of us. And who rose from the dead that we can have eternal life. Lord, may we be on mission with you. May we have your heart to seek and to save the lost. And as we just continue to pray, listen, that could be you. You know, just sitting in a church building doesn't, you know, any more make you a Christian than sitting in a garage would make you a car. You could be right here and and not be in a saving relationship with Christ he invites you to turn to him listen the work has been done Jesus loved us so much that he died for sinners like us on the cross took our sins upon himself and rose from the dead that we can have eternal life he lived the perfect life that none of us can ever live and he died the death we should have died for our sins in our place he invites you to turn to him now and trust him as, as your savior, your lord, your king. Would you do that today? The quietness of your heart, turn to Jesus and trust him. And so Lord, we thank you for the incredible love that you have shown us in the gospel. Lord, help us to, to live that and rejoice in that.